You're listening to Rowan Radio On Demand. Download more podcasts at rowanradio.com. The following program does not represent the views or opinions of the staff or administration of Rowan University or Rowan Radio. 89.7 WGLS-FM. Rowan Radio, in conjunction with the Rowan University Center for Sports Communication and Social Impact, presents a conversation with Kate Scott. This special presentation is a part of February celebration of National Girls and Women in Sports Day. Now, we take you to Bozarth Hall's King Auditorium with Rowan University professor Kate Harmon and the television play-by-play announcer of the Philadelphia 76ers, Kate Scott. Hi, everybody. Thank you all for coming. First, we have to thank our sponsors who have really been just so, so incredible for this. So we've got the National Girls and Women in Sports Committee. Thank you to them for helping to plan and coordinate. Um, Also the Women and Gender Studies Program who helps coordinate with the National Girls and Women in Sports Day Committee. We also have the Center for Sports Communication and Social Impact, so thank you, Neil. Um, And then Chickies and Pete's, who will be providing pizza for you all afterwards, okay? Um, Also, thank you to Derek and the radio station who are really helping, um, and all the people who've just been involved. We know there's a lot of people who've been involved. And so thank you all for being here. Thanks for coming. Give yourselves a round of applause. All right, so we're going to start with some questions from myself, um, and then you all are going to have the opportunity to ask questions. So if you want to ask about you know, whether Joelle is going to be the MVP, about Maxie coming off the bench, um, or even, I know some of my students are a little, um, they don't think the Sixers can make it to the finals. Mm. That's what they just said a couple days ago. So, I mean, they must have been questions. born here in Philly. You were born in Philly, huh? You already you came out came out of the womb with the scars. I understand. <laughs> so you can all ask that afterwards. Okay, we're gonna have somebody with a microphone kind of going around. Okay, but we're not gonna really talk about all that yet. First, if you know me, you know some of the stuff that we're gonna talk about. All right. So as I was kind of coming up with some of these questions, there's this dynamic that gets set up. And I first was thinking, well, we'll just talk about broadcasting and and journalism and all this kind of stuff, like career stuff, right? But then I was like, I don't know if that's really what I want to talk about. Because there's all these other really interesting things about you, too. And then I kind of reflected. And as I'm reflecting on it, um, it seems like mostly when you talk about career and sports industry and writing and broadcasting, commentating, all the awesome things that all of you are studying, those are the questions that white men get. And then they get to kind of set the stage for what all those things mean. And so that made me think, well, then I should definitely ask Kate Scott those things. Um, Because usually what happens to marginalized identities, underrepresented identities, is that they get asked the questions about their identities. And so I'm actually gonna ask you about your identities, which seems like a contradiction, because that seems like everything that I kind of just said that I shouldn't do. Um, But what do you think of that dynamic about this idea that only certain groups of people get asked certain sets of questions, which then does kind of dictate, you know, how we have these broader conversations? Well, first of all, thank you for having me here. Thank you all for being here. And thank you for starting with that question. Um, Fellow Kate was nice enough to pass along the questions before, which very few people do. And, And I don't need or even ask for because for what I do, I I have to be ready to think on my toes at all times, so. um, But but I was like, wow, that is the first time anyone has ever brought that up, so fist bump there, great job. Um, Because it is so true, I'm always asked, 
What is it like to be a woman in sports broadcasting? What is it like to be a gay woman in sports broadcasting here in Philly? What is it like to be a Californian in Philly in sports broadcasting? And I never actually too often get to talk about the broadcasting, but that just reading that question made me think, yeah, it is different. Um, and I think one of the reasons, I know we're gonna get into all of this, but <laughs> you think at this point I would, because I've been asked about being a woman and about being gay and all these things so many times, you think I'd be maybe better than I think I am at answering those questions? I'll let you all be the judge in a little bit. But, but I think it's because one of the reasons I think that I'm here is because I have let everybody else talk and dissect all of those things while I just kept doing the work. So I let everybody else talk about how I didn't belong and talk about how I was different and talk about, wow, this is weird. Do we like it? Do we not? Should we like it? Should we not? So I knew that this conversation about me was going on since I started my career 20 years ago. But I think the reason that I'm here is because I kept going back to the first part and what can I do today to make myself a better broadcaster today, period. Not the best female broadcaster, a woman broadcaster, not the best gay broadcaster. Like what can I do to kick the crap out of this broadcast I'm gonna do today? Whether it was when I was a sideline reporter, whether it was when I was in studio doing anchoring, whether it was I worked in radio, whether it was when I was just doing sports updates, how can I make this update better than the last one? What kind of sound do I wanna use in this one? What can I make it you know, to really pop? So I think that uh, in a rambling answer to this first question, um, I think just reading that question proved to me, yeah, it has been hard and different, and I have had to overcome challenges that my straight white male counterparts have not, but I wouldn't have it any other way because experience is the best teacher. So I'm gonna tell you a lot about my experiences and hopefully you'll be able to garner something from that, but I also know that you just have to experience a lot of things on your own to be ready for whatever it is you all wanna do when you grow up. Um, so. Uh, yeah, it showed me that it has been different and hard, but I also think one of the reasons I'm here is because I kept going back to, if I was a straight white man, what would I be doing today? And I would be prepping for the game I'm gonna call tonight. Yeah, and I think it would be cool if we asked everybody both types of questions. And I, and I think that the problem is that we just usually don't. So I partially feel bad that I did kind of yeah, that's the it. conversations. I'm done. I'm done, actually. Yeah. That was the only answer I was gonna give The majority of the questions are about the other part. <laughs> um, be, well, and because I think the other part is really important too, right? And, and so I often hear, and I think a lot of people in this room often hear, whether it's um, in sports media, social media, your fellow classmates, whoever, whoever it may be, right? We also say, well, why even talk about LGBTQIA right. plus identities, yeah. right? Like, let's just talk about them as athletes and coaches and, and people in media. Um, and whenever people say that, I kind of think to myself, well, it may not matter to you, but I think there's probably a lot of queer kids and a lot of queer people that it does matter a lot to. And um, it, I guess for me, that's kind of how I frame it. Do you have a better answer to that question than that? <laughs> uh, you think I would, but I struggle with this too, right? Cause I, getting back to that, I already want to, I know I'm not there yet, but I hope in a few years, I will not be seen as the woman who's calling Sixers games or as the gay woman. I hope that people just say, man, the Sixers television broadcaster is awesome. I love her, and that's it. I wanna be seen as a broadcaster who also happens to be all these other things. But I know right now that I'm different for a lot of people because, and myself included, growing up, every sport 
that I have ever heard has always been called by a man. Most of the time it was a straight white man, not always, but it was, so even now when I'm calling things and I'm relentlessly self-critical, and so anytime people are talking crap about me on social media, I'm always saying those things to myself first in my head. Um, but all the voices I hear and compare myself to are male voices. So that's hard, right? Because a huge part of being successful in any industry is being yourself. Okay, but I've never seen or heard anybody like myself doing this, so how do I find that comfort level while also pleasing everybody who's not used to hearing somebody like me. Anyway, um, so getting back to your question. So again, I never want to answer these and yeah, it shouldn't be a big deal, but I know it is. Like I'm one of two right now out of baseball and football and hockey and yeah. basketball and soccer. It's me and Lisa, period. <laughs> out of all the pro teams and we'll get into all those reasons but so even though I don't want to talk about it I know it's important to talk about it not just for not just for queer kids um, but for parents of queer kids who don't think that their kid is gonna have a chance doing this and I know not all of you are into sports broadcasting I know we've got a variety of people in this room but this goes for I think most industries right now um, that they can see if they're worried about their kid wanting to do something. Oh wait, but there's Kate Scott in Philly and she is out and she's kicking ass, even though not everybody agrees, but most people that I care about do. Um, and then it's also important for the people who are doing the hiring because I know that that was a huge part of it. Like the Sixers and NBC Philly and NBC 10, there was a lot of people who got a vote on if I came here or not. Um, it's important for them to see, okay, I thought this was a big risk. Mm -hmm. It seems like people like her and don't like her, mostly for just the broadcasting at this point. Um, so there's so many different people watching and listening, and uh, that's, I think, why I'm out. The players, the coaches, I mean, I know I'm, <laughs> I'm a unicorn for a lot of people, so that's why I talk about it, even though it's uncomfortable, because I just want to be a broadcaster, but I know everybody sees me as all the other things first right now. Um, so, yeah, another rambling answer. There's going to be I, a lot of those. I'm also very long-winded. You've read my <laughs> questions. I, yeah, but I appreciate that. Um, you talked a little bit about growing up not having yeah. a model yeah. of, of someone who sounded like you, who looked like you. What does that do? I mean, as a, as a kid, as a high schooler, as, as somebody in college, what, what does that do to your psyche or the way that you even think about possible career paths? Um, well, in retrospect, I didn't realize it at the time, but in retrospect, it set me back because I didn't go to college knowing that I could do this. So I didn't get any play-by-play -play reps when I was in college. Um, I didn't even know that I wanted to go into sports broadcasting until thankfully uh, a really good counselor friend of mine in uh, my junior year of high school when I was walking to the office to like submit college applications or start talking about those stuff, he asked me like, Kate, what do you wanna do? You know, next couple of years, how are you gonna change the world? What's gonna happen? I said, Mr. Schmazel, I think I'm gonna be a teacher. My mom's a teacher, like all my friends wanna be teachers. I wanna impact the youth. And he goes, Kate, that's great. Like, I'm obviously a, a lifelong educator. I love impacting kids, but I just want to reflect something to you. Like, you're playing four varsity sports. You're the sports editor of our high school newspaper. You're the public address announcer at our football games on a Friday night. Like, maybe you should think about sports journalism of some kind. And I was like, dude, Mr. Schmazel, like, 
that's a really good idea. But because I'm so old, even though I'm not that old, but 39, so this was 99, 2000. Oh my gosh, were any of you even born then? Probably not. Hello, oh babies, babies. Um, but so not that long ago, but in sports broadcasting, so much has changed. There was like five, six women I could point to. Linda Cohn, who's still holding strong on SportsCenter. Robin Roberts, who now is on Good Morning America, but Robin was a SportsCenter anchor. So those were the two. And I would watch SportsCenter every morning, but I didn't put it together because it was two in a sea of mostly men. There was like Leslie Visser and Andrea Kramer, um, Susie Kolber, Bonnie Bernstein, Michelle Tafoya were like sprinkled in as sideline reporters, but sideline reporting wasn't even really a thing until they were like, we need diversity, let's just throw a chick on the sideline. Um, so again, there was so few, the, the women that I did see, because I read the newspaper every morning, because I'm old, I would see the bylines of female journalists like writing about San Francisco Giants and San Francisco 49ers because I grew up in California. And I thought, oh, I could write about sports. Um, so that's why I started writing for my high school newspaper. But I didn't think I could do anything more than that because again, I never saw myself in anything. And the few women I did see, like they wore makeup and had their hair done. And <laughs> this has only happened in the last decade. <laughs> um, I was no makeup, hair pulled back all through college. It's my friends who see me now are like, wow, you've changed a lot since we last saw you. I was like, yeah, you watch 12-year-old girls do their makeup on YouTube. You too could look like this. So it set me back because, um, and that's one of the things I struggled with getting here, it was watching guys uh, get to where I wanted to be a lot sooner than me, but that's because they spent four years, five years, some knew they wanted to be a play-by-play -play announcer when they were 12 years old. So they were following dad to work and, and calling games. And just like practicing a sport, just like practicing dance, just like practicing anything, you need those reps to get better. And I didn't have those because when I was in college, I thought I could be a sideline reporter and maybe if I get really good, I could be a sports anchor and do a teleprompter, which wasn't exciting to me, even though I have a lot of friends who do that. So um, it set me back because I didn't have a me to look to. So I wish that I would have had. And it's interesting, the, the women that you named are all, they have a lot in common. Yeah. They're, all, I think they're almost all white, except for Robin Roberts, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, we're talking about all white women. We're talking about traditionally, conventionally feminine women. Mm -hmm. I'm a very specific type of woman. Which I didn't, I didn't identify as, because right. I was a little tomboy. Um, and I don't even know if we use that word anymore. I know that it's been like transitioned out, but like, Dirt in the skirt, I was just playing with the dudes on my street all the time. We oh, had basketball hoops and we'd come home from school and throw our backpacks inside and be like, okay, mom, I'm gonna be down at Tim's house down the street. Okay, we're going to Scott's house today. And so again, like there was, I did not wear makeup in high school. I did not do my hair. I was pulled back wearing my Letterman's jacket every day. So even if I would have put together, like this is something I wanna do, I didn't see myself in those women because that was that wasn't me. All right, I'm gonna quote you back to yourself. Oh, this I'm is gonna sure be, you okay. love this. Wow, Inception. <laughs> and this is an interview you did with Julie Stewart Banks. <laughs> you said, I told myself if I ever got to a point where I was confident and comfortable in my abilities as a broadcaster, I was gonna be out because I wanted other people who are part of our community to have somebody because I didn't have somebody. Um, and that is a little bit of what you were just talking about a couple of questions ago, but I wanna frame it a little differently because when you are one of the only it's a burden too. Um, and I think that, I, I wonder what toll 
if any, that has kind of taken being the only, the one who is, I mean, these are the questions I'm asking you right now, and I wouldn't if, if you were different, right? Um, I was just curious about the, the, the toll, the mental, whatever type of toll that might have taken on you. Yeah. Um, and again, getting back to what I said in the first answer, um, <laughs> I think I'm lucky that I was ignorant and didn't pay attention to a lot of that, and that I'm a little older, so social media didn't really become a thing until, like Facebook became a thing when I was a junior in college, and then Twitter didn't start until uh, five or six or seven years after I graduated from college. So when I was first finding my footing, like all of you are right now, I didn't have to deal with the noise. But yeah, I said that, and apologies to those of you who saw me speak last year, I might have told this story then, but, um, so I came out to my parents on my 21st birthday, um, and I thought they were gonna be supportive, but I was still terrified. It was the most scared I've ever been for anything. And I have since called NFL games and an NHL game and done lots of stuff that has scared the shit out of me. But still, I was terrified, like I can, feel myself getting nervous again and getting choked up, thinking about how scared I was to tell my parents that I was gay. And were, <laughs> I was such a jerk when I did it, but um, it was my 21st birthday and my girlfriend was taking me to Napa and I was pretty much was like, guys, I'm gay. Okay, see you later, bye. Uh, uh, didn't really give them time to process it, but they've given me a ton of shit about that since then. So anyway, the reason I, I'm bringing this all up is because when I told them hey, that friend that I brought home for Christmas was more than a friend, which is why she slept in my single bed with me. And <laughs> my dad was like, what? I had no idea. I still give him a hard time about that, but my mom started crying. And I thought, <laughs> I really thought my mom knew and was gonna be supportive, why is she crying? And uh, she said, no, Kate, I, I knew. <laughs> Thank you for telling us but I'm just so terrified because again, flashback, this is 2000. You're already trying to be a woman in sports broadcasting. There's not very many women who are trying to do this. And now you wanna tell me that you're gonna try to be an out gay woman in sports broadcasting? Like just look around the broadcasting landscape, period. Can you name one gay person for me? And this was before, way before Robin was out. Anderson Cooper was way far in the closet. There was nobody. And I thought to myself, mm, this is a very valid point, Mom. But you know, 20, 21 years old, you think you can, hopefully all of you think you can take over the world because that's the energy we need till the world smacks you in the face a number of times. But keep that energy. And I thought to myself, you know, that's when I said that. I didn't say it out loud to my mom, but I thought, wow, my mom has had so much confidence in me. This is the first time I think in my entire life she's expressing doubt. So, and that's, Years later when I reflected on that moment, okay, if I can ever, if this inter interaction ever happens with another parent or guardian or anybody and a youth that they love and have been taken care of, I want them to be able to point to someone and I wanna be able to be that person, if possible. Um, so that's why I said that because I didn't have that person, but getting back to what you said about the burden and all that stuff, again, I. It's been there, yeah. Um, but I don't think I'm here if I've paid attention to it. Like, have I gotten horrible messages from people? Yes. Um, I'm old enough in that my first sports radio job was 
2010, 2011. So this was when all the uh, anti-same-sex marriage, anti-marriage equality amendments were going around the states. And my wife and I were one of the couples who had gotten married in California before we voted on it as a state, and then same-sex marriage was illegal in California. And we were like, what? Um, and I'm working in sports radio. Imagine if I was on WIP or 97.5 or whatever. I'm the first woman in sports radio in San Francisco, first of all, wrap your head around that, in 2011. And then my co-hosts encouraged me to be myself and be out because I was working on the morning show and morning shows are really intimate and you talk about you know your lives because you're getting ready for school or work and driving your kids to school or whatever. And uh, got messages from people, you are the disgusting reason that I voted yes on Prop 8, you fucking faggot, you fucking homo, you cunt bitch, like get off my fucking radio. And yeah, I can still feel how visceral you know, that was, but then I kept being myself and I would get phenomenal messages from people. Hey Kate, you don't know me. I've been listening to KNBR, the station I was working on for uh, a really long time. I don't know any gay people. Um, I voted yes on Prop 8, but man, just hearing you talk about your life has really opened my mind. Um, you and your wife are really boring. <laughs> Just like me and my wife, you know, you go to Home Depot on the weekends, you're like taking your laundry to your parents' house, you're watching your nephew play basketball. Like where's where's all the glitter and pride parades and where's, uh, wow, I didn't, I didn't know you were kind of normal and boring. So those have over the years outweighed the vicious, awful messages that I have gotten and continue to get from people. And again, it just gets back to, uh, I knew I was gonna encounter this. Was I willing to? It was a choice I made. And I continue to ask myself those questions. And the answer is always yes, because I'm getting paid to call 76ers games. So <laughs> bring it the fuck on. <laughs> Anonymous person that I'm never going to meet. Like say all the things you want to, but if I can open more doors and make this more accessible for anybody who wants to do this, who hasn't seen themselves reflected in this, not just gay white women, like bring it on because I'm doing what I love and I have a wonderful partner and wonderful family and lots of support and lots of privilege. So I better be the one to keep being out and being myself. When you're telling some of these stories or some of these other interviews that you've done, I, I keep coming back to the word intentional. Yeah. Um, and as I was kind of listening some, to some things you'd said previously, you kept referring to yourself as the gay chick from California. <laughs> yeah. And it made me laugh. And then I thought, wow, that's like a really political statement. <laughs> like it felt so intentional. And, and I thought it was so cool that that was what you were saying because it's self-deprecating, right? And it kind of disarms whoever is, yeah. is maybe not going to like what that means. Um, I just, did you ever think twice about being that intentional? Because <laughs> Not everybody would do that. I mean, there's plenty of LGBTQIA folks in sports media who, yeah. who aren't like that. Yeah. Uh, it's bravo to you, first of all, for picking that up. You're the first person who has brought this up um, because it was obviously very intentional. Um, because I think one of the things that I try to be, hopefully most of you can see at this point, is very open and relatable and normal and accessible. Um, because I think getting back to that comment about that guy who didn't know any gay people, I think for a lot of people there's a disconnect, right? It's like these sophisticated LGBTQI 
AA, like I don't even know all the letters at this point, I apologize. And we live on the coasts and we have really pretty dogs and occasionally adopt children that are the most beautiful children in the world. Um, and, and like, you can't relate to a lot of gay people or that was the sense I was getting. And that's hard for me because I didn't grow up in San Francisco and the Bay Area where I worked for the past 20 years. So I grew up in a really small town in the middle of California, which is probably anywhere Pennsylvania, anywhere New Jersey. It was a small town, it was conservative. There was tons of churches. There's a huge Mormon population, a huge Pentecostal population, a huge evangelical population, mostly white. And I loved growing up there because we didn't lock our doors. We played sports all the time, like 4th of July, we we're walking around barefoot, shooting off fireworks in my street. Like, <laughs> it was very small town America. And then I go to UC Berkeley for college and have my mind like blown. I'm having sushi for the first time. I'm talking to people in headscarves. Like this is, I'm going to, to parties with, we had, it was called the Afro floor at that point, but probably now is the black or African-American floor in our building. Kids who wanted to just live with fellow black and African-American students. And I was like, hey, can I go clubbing with you guys tonight? And they were like, yeah, Kate, you're crazy, come on. And just like, I still remember that night to today, being, being the other in that situation and what that taught me. And again, this is a small kid who grew up like, my mind was just exploding each and every day. Um, so again, getting back to what you were saying, I know that a lot of the people that I grew up with and a lot of the people from what I knew about Philly and Jersey and the honesty and the directness, we're not gonna say, oh, it's so wonderful to have a woman from the Bay Area who was a member of the LGBT community. They'd be like, hey dude, what do you think about the gay chick from California who's calling Sixers ball now, right? That's probably how a lot of people are gonna talk. And that's how I talk most of the time. I have a professional, Kate, like I code switch, which I'm sure some of you have heard, but whatever this group needs me to speak like, I can lower my voice and be very professional. Uh, Josh Harris, it's wonderful to see you tonight. You have $8 billion. Thank you so much for allowing me to call games for your team. Hey bro, what's up, dude? Yeah, go Sixers, let's fucking go tonight. Like. You have to be able, or I think I've, that has been one of the reasons that I'm here is because I know what each different audience needs from me. So I knew that one of the ways that I would help endear myself to not everybody here, but a lot of people would be to be the gay chick from California and to be as relatable as possible because they'd see, oh, she's coming from the Bay Area. Oh, she's so fancy. I didn't know what they were gonna think, but I, I wanted to try to disarm as many of those assumptions as possible. I think one of the reasons why I'm focusing on a lot of this is because you work in men's professional sports, right? I mean, if what? we were having a conversation about women's professional sports, it would be way different. It wouldn't be as big of an issue. These questions would be framed differently, There'd be, right? I mean, you wouldn't be the only. Yeah. Um, and that seems really important too. And I just, how do you understand that? Like the idea that you work in men's professional sports mm -hmm. that really lags behind when it comes to LGBTQIA plus representation. Yeah. Um, uh, again, going, so much comes back to our childhood. Is anybody else in therapy? Like everything, it all, it all comes back to your childhood, right? You're like, oh, that's why I listen to that song over and over again. Um, anyway. Um, I think, again, one of the reasons I'm here and feel so comfortable being here and here, whether it be in this room or working for the Sixers, working in men's sports, is just because this has always been my world. Like, since I was a little girl, I mentioned coming home and playing sports with all the boys on my street. At school, I was playing sports with all the guys. I was always, that was my world. So everybody 
who didn't know me or wasn't a part of that world from the outside looking in would say like, this is weird, how are you doing this? But that's all I've ever known, so it's always been my normal. Um, and I think because of that, I feel comfortable being the other. And I also know that it's really important because so many of our players and people at NBC and people within the team, getting back to that guy who wrote to me all those years ago when I was working in sports radio, I may be the first, so I'm kind of like this little experiment that they get to watch <laughs> and observe and and then decide because I learned a long time ago when I was your age and stuff was going crazy when it came to same-sex marriage and marriage equality in California. I was one of those kids with the signs protesting at San Francisco City Hall and marching and screaming because I just couldn't understand why people were not accepting me. And I've since uh, gotten tired, but also realized that the best thing I can do now in my current role is not tell people they have to accept me or force people to think or feel a certain way. Because think if somebody tells you like, you, you need to eat this right now. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's... But if you just let people see you and see how I act and what I post and what I talk about, they may over time change an opinion they had. They may not, but not forcing them to, I think, is helpful. And I've had a uh, number of coaches I've worked with in the past, male coaches, because before this I was calling men's college basketball and college soccer and football and stuff, um, and players uh, come up and say thank you for being yourself um, because it's allowed me to observe something in someone that I had only seen projected in very specific chosen media images and you're just a person and you've humanized it for me. Or other people have come up to me and talked about struggling with their sexuality, but because I was out, I have given them a safe space to have these conversations within sports that they didn't feel they could talk about with anybody else. Right. Or questions because someone in their family has come out and like, I. I'm so scared about saying the wrong thing. So so again, yes, there have been tough moments where I've heard because it's men's sports. Mm -hmm. I mean, we saw it just last week, right? I was driving here listening to NBA radio this morning and they were talking about one of the Brooklyn Nets, Cam Thomas, for those of you who follow, follow basketball, had an incredible couple of games and then in the post game said something about a teammate. And because again, it's still not okay for a lot of guys to show any affection towards another guy. He was like, no homo. Because you guys know that's something that you say, right? Like, don't, but just because I said that, something nice about my teammate, I'm not gay. I don't want you guys to think I'm a fag or anything because that's obviously not okay in my mind. I haven't deconstructed that, but no homo. So for them to understand why it's not okay to say those things, but also not think I'm going to cancel them and just like be willing to have the conversation. Yeah. A theme from a lot of these questions and a lot of your answers is the idea of authenticity. And that's a huge theme in sports, whether we're talking about authentic athletes, authentic coaches, authentic members of the media, authentic fans, right? We know that. What do you think it means to be authentic as a broadcaster, play-by-play -play announcer? What do you think, yeah, what does that mean? What does that take? It takes a lot. It's the hardest thing to be yourself, <laughs> which sounds weird because we're all ourselves, right? But maybe some of you have experienced this in, in jobs or internships or even in classes here where you really want to be yourself, but you feel like you need to be somebody else in that space. So how do I be that, kind of what I talked about earlier, how do I be that slightly other version of myself while also not feeling like I'm lying to anybody else or myself about who I am? 
Um, so it's taken getting older. As you get older, you will care less, <laughs> hopefully, about what other people think, because you're just like, well, I don't have as many years now, so fuck it. <laughs> like, I'm just gonna say something I might not have said 10 years ago. Um, but it's really hard. But at the same time, I have found being my authentic self is when I'm the most free. And when I'm the most free, I'm the most successful because I'm not overthinking anything. Um, I'm, just, I'm just being. I'm just trusting my gut and letting all the games I've called and all the experiences I've had just speak through me. So I think it is so important because I know I do my best broadcasting when I'm authentic. I think I do my best public speaking when I'm totally myself. But it's really, really hard because the world, and I think this can apply to all of us, especially with social media now, is telling us what we need to look like, what we need to eat, how we need to think, what we need to say. No, you can't say that. Oh, you might be able to say that in this situation. Like there's so much pressure on all of us all the time. So I think it's really difficult to be authentic. Related to that, um, I've heard you talk a lot about fear, which I think is directly related to authenticity and intentionality. Um, you talked about fear of certain jobs, fear of certain games, and even fear of taking the Sixers job because you knew what it meant. Yeah. Did you worry that talking about fear was gonna come back to kind of bite you? Yeah, she's not ready for it. If she's afraid, she's obviously not yeah. ready for it. Yeah, I got some interesting advice really early in my career, which I listened to for a couple years. Never show fear and never admit when you've made a mistake. Um, let them come to you and tell you you need to correct something. And it made sense because it was, in a way, I think that person was trying to build my confidence. They were trying to say, we all make mistakes just keep powering forward, it's okay. But again, getting back to who do I want to be as a human and as a broadcaster? I wanna be relatable, I wanna be vulnerable, I wanna be authentic, and we all make mistakes. Like, I talk for two and a half hours on a nightly basis. I, I dare any of you to talk for two and a half hours straight and not stumble over a word or make a mistake or say something that you thought you said but you actually said it different but you were just talking so quickly, oh, you didn't realize that. You didn't say head athletic trainer, you said head trainer. You forgot the athletic even though you thought you said it in your head. So I have since learned that in order to be relatable, it's important to show that I haven't been perfect all the way here. I'm, I'm not perfect on any broadcast. I got great advice a couple years ago when I was like, man, that wasn't, it wasn't a perfect show and a really fantastic Super Bowl calling broadcaster uh, reached out and said, Kate, if you find any broadcaster who's called a perfect game, you let me know because I'm still efforting for that every time I crack the mic. Uh, so I was like, oh. So it's good to admit when you make mistakes because it shows you're real. Um, and fear, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm really good friends with, some of you may know, she may be too old for you as well. Uh, Kate Fagan is one of my good friends. She worked for ESPN for a, a number of years, was on Around the Horn and stuff, and now she's writing and working for Meadowlark, the offshoot, anyway. Um, covered the Sixers for the Inquirer. She did, she wrote for the, for the Sixers for, uh, she covered the Sixers for a couple years and she, Still text me every night, great Sixers win, go Sixers, which is awesome. Um, but she sent me, when I was just starting this string of unexpected firsts, I called a couple of 49ers games in the preseason back in 2016. And she sent me this photo that she had found online that said, fear is a liar. And she just said, it's gonna tell you you can't do this. It's gonna tell you you're not good enough. You're not ready, but fuck it, because you are. Um, so I have since come to realize that everything I've been most afraid of, coming out to my parents, calling those 49ers games, calling an NHL game, calling a Warriors game last year, 
calling the Olympics, accepting the Sixers job, like everything that I have been most afraid of in life has truly propelled me to grow the most. So I know it's a cliche, but I think it's one of those cliches for a reason because it has forced me to dig deep within myself, to challenge myself, to, and I think especially as a woman, I know that, and this may apply to others in this room, I wait until I'm over-prepared to do it, <laughs> where I'm sure you've talked about a lot of, there's been so many studies, guys, if you have like 50% of the qualifications, you're like, I got this. Whereas women, we, we make sure if it asks for like five to seven years of experience, we have 10 just so we apply because we know we're ready for it. Uh, hopefully that's changing amongst you. So now I just, if I'm ever afraid of something, I just invite this, the fear. I know it's not going away. So I invite it to sit next to me, kind of like you are. And I'm like, what's up, fear? Hey, let's fist bump it out. Okay. I know you're going to be here. I'm not, I know you're not going away, but I also know you're going to propel me to a big period of growth right now. So let's do this together. And if you could stop being so loud and interrupting, I would appreciate it. But I know you're going to be here. So, and I've had a lot of people since reflect to me that me admitting my mistakes, me admitting my fear has either allowed them to come on board and be a fan of mine or inspired and motivated them in whatever it is that they do. So because of that, I'm like, okay, I should keep doing this. You've described yourself as a propagandist <laughs> for the Sixers. Yes. Um, how did you kind of come up with that framing? Like, what, what were you thinking about? And, and how do you understand the, the position in that way? <laughs> well, that's what I am. You know, I'm not a Sixers employee. Uh, different broadcasters are for different teams. I'm actually an NBC Sports employee. And the Sixers and NBC Sports have a, um, a partnership. But uh, I am, I'm the television voice of the Philadelphia 76ers. So for a lot of people, they're not gonna be able to ever interact with Joel Embiid or Tyrese Maxey or Doc Rivers or Josh Harris or whoever. I may be the most accessible part of the team. So it is my job to project as great of an image of myself and thus the Sixers and NBC Sports Philly as possible because that may be the only interaction that they have. And if it sucks, that may come back to impact the team. So uh, again, as soon as I leave my house, I know that I'm Kate Scott of the Philadelphia 76ers. Even if I'm at the grocery store, if I'm going to pick up a pair of sunglasses, like you never know who you're gonna meet. And it's up to me to always realize that. And also um, knowing when, when you're hired by a team, and I think we're gonna get to this versus I worked for networks in the past, there's obviously an expectation. It's most of the time a, like a wink, wink, we know you know this, so hopefully we don't have to tell you this, but like you're the voice of a team, so be projecting positive things about the team. If I was a sports radio host who didn't have any say about the team, I might share different opinions about the players that I cover or the coaches and stuff. But again, coming back to it, like I'm paid by NBC. The Sixers and NBC have a paid partnership, and I'm a big part of that, so... Don't think things that I say offhandedly aren't gonna get back to everybody who pays my checks and that there's not gonna be uh, an impact on that. So pay attention. Is that the biggest difference between yeah. you know working for the Sixers now and then when you were working for a network, a conference, the Pac-12, mm -hmm. that, that's the biggest difference in your mind? Yeah, because you get to be more critical when you're paid by the network and not by the teams or not uh, by a university or something. You know, if you're 
well, it may be different here at Rowan, but hopefully you're trying to be as positive as possible if you're if you're calling Rowan Sports. But yeah, could definitely be more critical. Uh, one of my first team jobs, I was the sideline reporter for the MLS team in the Bay Area, the San Jose Earthquakes, and <laughs> they were not good then. <laughs> They're not that great now. Um, but they they pulled me in and said, Kate, remember, even though we're not going to be very good this year, you're selling hope. So every time you're doing a 30-second hit or doing a post-game interview, you're selling hope. So we might have lost 3-0 today, but what was something positive that you might be able to pull out of this and spin into the next match? So I thought that was really interesting. So when you're working for a team, and again, it's different every team, but for the teams I've worked for, versus if you're working for a network, yeah, you can be more critical because the network is the one that's paying my checks. Um, when you're working in college versus pro, it's different as well because these are still student athletes. So we were even at the Pac-12 Network encouraged to be as positive as we could. Like if somebody turns it over, focus on the great defensive play. Don't be like, oh man, what a, what a boneheaded play by Kate there. Whereas now, I can say that because they're professionals and they're getting paid a lot of money. And if they make a boneheaded play, we're gonna say it. But you don't want to spin out a college athlete because you said something bad and then it's going viral on TikTok and then all of a sudden everybody's in their mentions and they're suicidal all of a sudden. All right, this is my last question. So everybody get ready. No. Start thinking about uh -oh. what you want to ask. No. Okay. Um, you, when, when you read your bio, it's first after first after first, all this groundbreaking, right? That word's uh, used yeah. a lot, um, which is awesome on the one hand, right? It, it yeah. sounds really cool. It sounds like progress. It sounds like we did it. But it's also 2023 <laughs> that it seems like two steps forward, two steps back, yeah. especially when we're talking about a white, like conventionally, yeah. traditionally feminine woman, yep. right? Yep. Um, and I just like keep coming back to that because I, I think, I try to be optimistic, mm -hmm. but part of me is just like, this is depressing. <laughs> so clearly I'm answering, I'm ending this on a really high note. Um, it's okay, I'll spin it around. <laughs> What obstacles or barriers do you yeah. think? I mean, you've been through it. You're the first. You're the groundbreaking. What are all of the barriers? Like, what are some of these obstacles that some of the people in this room may have to deal with? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like there's two sides to all of these, right? There's good and there's bad. But that's that's progress. My wife and I got married in California, and then six months later, my sister voted to make it illegal. But then five, six years later, then it passed, and then all of our friends could get married in California. So it's like... That's progress, it's never linear. Um, and this is gonna be life, and it may already be life for some of you, but I know it was especially life after college. Like, when you're younger, it's, here's the up thing, right? If you take these classes and you do these things in high school, you'll get accepted to a university. And then if you do these things, you'll get good grades, and then you'll get into graduate school if you wanna go there, or you'll get that internship. Like, it's pretty linear most of the time. And then you become an adult, and you're like, whoa, what do I do? Where do I go? There's so many options, what leads to what? Um, so, all the firsts are great. Why did it take so long? But hey, now they've been accomplished. So hopefully, as Kamala said, I'm the first, but I won't be the last. Because as I said way earlier, I know that a lot of people who are doing the hiring and there has been so much change. Because again, 20 years ago, there's nobody out in broadcast media, period. Uh, there was very few women. Most of them were white, blonde, Miss Californias, Miss Americas. Look how much change there is in the past 20 years. So is it slower than you and I want? Of course, but man, there has been a lot of progress. So let's not lose sight of that. Um, let's not lose sight of the fact that 
three years ago, right before the pandemic, NBC asked me to be a part of what was at the time one of the first all-female broadcasts. It was of an NHL hockey game. Uh, and I told them to piss off that I didn't want to call it because I didn't want to be a part of a stunt. And they called me back and said, touche, good point, Kate. Uh, this is not a stunt. Every single woman except for you, the director, the producer, the graphics, the replay, the tape room, all the, all the camera operators, the A2, the person running audio, everybody has been doing this for hockey for a really long time. We just don't have a play-by-play -play voice. But we think you are a professional play-by-play -play announcer who has prepped her tail off to call everything you've called in the past. And when we asked Al Michaels to call hockey at the 1980 Olympics, he never called hockey before, but we knew Al was just a play-by-play -play announcer. And he would do all the homework and research he needed to sound like it when time came and the puck dropped. So we want you to do this for all these other women because we think it's really important that for one day everybody sees that it's not just the play-by-play -play announcer or the sideline reporter or the analyst that you can be anything in sports broadcasting and we think you are ready for that responsibility and i was like Whew, okay that was a couple of years ago now we're having all women broadcast i know villanova just did one for their women's basketball i know fox sports did there were soccer ones and that's just in the last two years so um Progress is being made, and the people who are doing the hiring are realizing, wow, our audience is not just men, and our audience is not just white, and we are getting old really quickly, and if we wanna keep doing what all teams wanna do, which is make money, we need to be as relatable as possible to our fans. And look at all our players. Wow, most of our players are not white. So maybe we should figure this out. So again, it is slower than we all want, because for the most part, people who are doing the hiring, the people who own the teams, the people who are in the positions of power are still straight white men. But, and I see a lot of who I'm assuming are straight white men in this room, I'm not here without straight white men because you have been my allies and you have had the sisters and the moms and the daughters and the aunts who have been into sports since you were born and you just see us as people and sports fans and athletes and broadcasters and you're really saying, no, no. She is more experienced than all the men who have applied for this job. She is ready for it. So it's happening and it's slower than we want it to be. But the advice I have to everybody in this room is what a great time to be you. <laughs> Hopefully knock on wood, the pandemic is over because I know that that was awful and set all of us back more than we're going to know for another 20 years. But the opportunities are plentiful if you are prepared and passionate and ready to put in the work. And it may be slightly more difficult if you don't look or sound like the other people, wherever it is that you wanna work, but people who are doing the hiring are realizing we need to catch up with society and society looks like the room that I'm looking at at right now. And if we wanna continue to make money and be successful, this is what our staff needs to look like too. So, so thank you for having me today. Hope that answered some questions. Absolutely. thank you. All right, so it, it is all about you now, but I did promise the wit. I did promise the wit, the first question. I don't know if they know that, but in my mind, I promised the wit the first question. So Josh or Lindsay, if you have a question. So like, how would you compare like working uh, in Philly to how it was in uh, California? Good question. I'm loving it. It's so much fun. 
because as somebody who has been passionate about sports since I was as far back as I can remember, I don't know if everybody in this room is as passionate as most of the people I interact with, but like every game matters. <laughs> and that's how I've always been. Um, and in California, every game mattered to some people, but there was also, we could also go to the ocean. There was also wine tasting. We could also go for a really beautiful hike today. <laughs> also, we could go to the SF MoMA and look at this great new display. There was a niche of sports fans in the Bay, uh, but it is, as all of you who were born and raised out here know, like it's, there's a different level of fandom and passion and sports really, for most people, is the common language. Like you, for the past couple of weeks, we weren't saying hello, we were saying go birds, right? <laughs> Which I love because that has always been me since I was little. But I don't think I would be having as much fun and as successful as I think I am so far, if I hadn't started in, I think, a slightly easier place that had a little less passion, that was, you know, I don't know if I would have been out if I would have started my sports career in Philly or New York or Chicago. I started in one of the most, for the most part, liberal accepting places in the US. I, I as, as somebody who lived there for 20 years, I would beg to differ at times, but, um, but for the most part, like it, it wasn't okay to say some of the things that I still hear on occasion out here. And, and so I think it allowed me to find my voice and grow confidence in that voice. Um, so I know that I'm not here if I hadn't spent the first 20 years of my career there and it helped prepare me for this. And now, as I've said in a bunch of interviews, it feels like I've come home because I told you all where I grew up and then I went to the Bay and that impacted me and changed me. And now I'm just like, <laughs> sports <laughs> every day, this is awesome. And also um, I was struggling a lot with the, the money and power and the way the Bay Area saw itself the last few years I was there. Cause I'm not about that. Like I don't do this for that. I do this cause I love sports and I wanna hopefully impact people and open doors for people. And Philly is, a, is the gritty and um, it's kind of a little more authentic than I was feeling the last couple of years. And again, that was just my experience in the Bay. So it feels like I've come home to like, yeah, this is a great combination of where I grew up and where I've lived the last 20 years and kind of my whole life up to this point coming together. And, and now here I am and I'm supposed to be here. Hi, my name is Michael Hi, and Michael. Um, I'm a big Sixers fan. So I see my that. Question Who are you is, rocking today? Who you got? Uh, ben Simmons. Uh, oh, saying strong to the two five, huh? Yeah. So you talked about being a woman, being yeah. different, and yeah. uh, growing or going to school in California. So, um, like, what was it like when the whole Ben Simmons thing was going on? What's your take on that? Yeah, you know, I think I was actually really lucky to come in when I did last year because I, I wasn't a, a part of kind of the fallout and when it all happened the year before, right? So I think that allowed me because it, I think it would have been really hard to be Mark to be Zoo. To have gone through all that, and when you, not everybody, but I have obviously fallen head over heels for the Sixers and everything about Philly, so I'm a fan now. And that's what NBC Sports wants of me. You know, that was one of the things, because they had only heard me as a network broadcaster, and they said, well, if we hire you for this job, we kind of want you to, to cheer for the Sixers. And I said, I said, friends, that's not gonna be a problem. <laughs> My first job on a microphone was being a yell leader at Cal. Um, so I think it would have been difficult if, if it was Mark coming back and having been the voice for so many years and then having this guy that I know a, a lot of people, I know not everybody, I know that, that uh, some people are still like hardcore Ben fans here, but I know a lot of fans 
were like, screw you, man, trade you. To have to deal with those emotions and coming in fresh like I did, I didn't have to. So I needed to be unbiased, but it was easy for me in that situation because I didn't have um, the baggage and the scars that I know a lot of folks did. Um, and then coming back to it, I think um, I knew how a lot of people felt. So that's why on occasion I have voiced opinions, right? Like earlier in the year, had a little fun with something that I know still is split within the team, but James Harden had a good game earlier in the year. And after he made a couple of buckets, I was like, who won the trade? Who won the trade? Um, Cause again, I know who pays my checks and their opinions. Um, but as somebody who struggled with depression and anxiety and still does, um, and Ben has spoken about that. Now I don't know. That's another hard part of it, right? He said it was his back and it was his knee and then it was his mental health. So I know a lot of people still even question the honesty and validity of those things. But as somebody who has experienced mental illness personally, I never want to, if I can be aware of it, I never want to negatively impact another person. So, um, so yeah, this is once again a roundabout way of saying, I've wanted to say more to make Philly say I'm one of us, but I also don't, I've never had any interaction with him personally. So I didn't want to overstep and I didn't want to add to whatever noise or struggles he's having. Um, and I also knew that a lot of people are fans of his, like potentially you. So that's how I handled it. I think I was lucky and I wish him the best. And hopefully now that the Nets have a whole new look, they're a super fun team now. So hopefully he can kind of relax now that there's not all the pressure on him and, and refine himself. Hi. Hi. I'm Anna. I was wondering out of a morbid curiosity, how much of it is working at home and or working at a studio? And more importantly, if you are a studio, how good are the donuts? <laughs> so many good questions there. Yeah, a lot of my work is actually not at the game, right? That's the payoff to my work. But a lot of my work is... So like this morning, if I wasn't here and if I had a game tomorrow night, because most of our games are every other day, I would have the box score up from last night's game. I put together my own eight by 11 sheet on each team and I would start out by updating all the statistics. So I would have a line in each, I'd have a Tyrese Maxey score and a James Harden score and a Joel Embiid square and these were their st statistics against the Cavaliers. And then I would update how those impacted their season stats and I would be doing all of this at my desk in my office at my house. Uh, so I would update all the statistics and then I would look ahead, okay, who's the next team we were playing? And I would play, pull up the last games that they had played against them and put those statistics in my board so I can say the last time we saw these teams, Joel dropped 25. And then I would read all the stories that people had written from the Philadelphia Inquirer and the Philly Voice and Liberty Ballers and all, all the different Sixers um, blogs and stuff like that. Uh, and then I would go to shoot around and watch the guys shoot in the morning. Who's playing, who's not playing. Um, so, so much of my work is actually not done in the studio. It's, that's the fun part of my job when I actually get to put on the headset and call the games. Sadly, there's not that many donuts. Yeah, I know. I try to bring a lot of food because food is the way to everybody's heart. If you ever have any question about wanting to be accepted someplace, like yesterday, I brought a couple of hoagie trays as a final, just before the all-star break, thank you to everybody on our truck because for the most part, like they're the ones who are the reason we are on the air. I am the made up talking voice, but the producer and the director and the associate producer and the technical director and the graphics and everybody who never gets their name set on air, except when I have a couple of extra seconds at the end of a broadcast. Like, thank you for making it possible for me to go on air and do my job every night and have fun. Um, so yeah, the donuts, you know, I haven't been able to experience, but federal donuts, good, right? 
How's it going, Kate? Hey. My name's Anthony. I was just wondering when you work for the Pac-12 Network, what's that like when you have like 12 fan bases that are all tuned <laughs> into the Pac-12 Network? I mean, next year it might be 10, but we'll see. Or uh, nine, or yeah, what is the, Is there even going to be a Pac-12? I know. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> uh, no, but so like, what's that like? Because now you work for like one team, uh-huh. one fan base. What's that like when you have 12 fan bases that are all indulged? Yeah. Like, huge fan base. Who all think they're better than the other and yeah. don't see that team as a rival because Oregon State is not the rival of Oregon. It's actually Washington. They're, you know, our little brother and sister and we don't care about them and so this is a huge part of it whatever job you're going to have to do whether whether it's in sports i know some of you are not looking to get into sports but so much of it is doing the pre-prep as i call it and learning what are the things this fan base likes to hear what is something you can never say to this fan base how do they like to be referred how do they not like to be referred like i was so thankful when i got here that y'all love philly because don't ever say san fran nobody in san francisco calls it san fran as soon as somebody says that you're like outsider i don't want to listen to you it's sf or the city or if you're cool which i was never cool enough it's frisco but anyway so you have to do all this is pre-learning okay what can i say what are the things i can't say um, what are the what are the former players that they like to hear you talk about? What are the ones that they've disowned because they don't like them? Like there's so much that you have to learn before. How does how does the team actually feel about Ben? Should I talk about it? Should I not? What are the former players that they like? What are the former players they don't like? Um, and then as a, as a voice of the network, I could never be cheering for one team. So I was always those of you who hear Sixers games and listen know that I'm easily excitable. So it was my job to be excited anytime any good play happened on any of the sports I was calling and to really be excited about that for both of the teams because I was the voice of a network. So I wanted people to keep watching the game because it seemed interesting and exciting because I was calling it. And then right now, most of my storytelling, I'll obviously do deep dives on all the Sixers players and try to be, because again, people who are tuning in to the Sixers broadcast, want to, for the most part, know about the Sixers. So I do uh, an amount of research on the opponent, but it's very different than when I was calling network games because I would do evenly. I would try to teach you about every single player on every single team and every single coach evenly because, again, I was working for a network. So different, but but the research and all, this, all the skills that I learned to the same, I just, um, I just put them into effect in a different way. Hi, I'm Charlize. I just want to say thank you. You're a very big inspiration to women in sports. So my question is, how does gender and your identity influence what kind of privilege you have access to? Mm. I I mentioned this briefly, but one of the reasons that I'm out and so open and myself is because I'm sure most people, when they look at me, think I'm a straight white woman, right? Um, And I know I know that 90 some odd percent of why I'm here is because of the work I've done and all that. But I also know going back to the beginning, I was let into some rooms before some of my counterparts because I am a blonde white woman, right? I'm positive of that. I know that one of the reasons that I got this Sixers job is because I am palatable, as I like to call myself, or a gateway gay. I have all these names for myself. But let's be honest, like, I have a lot of friends who don't look or sound like me, who even maybe my parents would be like, oh, wow, they have a, right? We can get into all the stereotypes. They have a shaved head. Like they have a lot of tattoos. What, whatever the thing is that makes it slightly uncomfortable for other people. I'm like, yeah, and they're awesome. And they're really good at what they do. So what's the problem? But I know that 
for the Sixers and NBC. They were like, oh, she's got long blonde hair. This is awesome. People are going to probably think she's straight until she starts talking about her wife. This is good. Um, they're never going to say that, but I know that that's part of the reason that they were okay hiring me. Um, so because of that, again, it is, and I, I have put all this responsibility on myself. It is my job to then be like, hey, I'm gay. <laughs> I know you may think I'm straight and I look like that, but it's, it's my job, I think, to be as open about that as possible so people realize that I am and realize that somebody who's gay can do this um, and a woman can do this. So again, even though I never want to talk about these things, I've come to realize I really need to. No, I, I need to because people, whether it's people who want to do this, need to know that they can. Whether it's people who are doing the hiring need to know that they can. So. And we could get even deeper into the privilege, right? Like I have a partner that I'm proud of. I have four parents, five parents that are accepting. Like it was not that long ago and maybe it's still happening, but every single friend when I was coming out had a parent who weren't okay with them being gay. I have financial stability. I have housing, like things that I think a lot of us take for granted. Uh, I have all of those things. So even if I were fired because I was gay, I'd be okay. So I see all of those privileges that I have, and I'm like, I better stand up and make as much noise as possible. So the people who don't have those privileges, maybe it becomes slightly easier for them. Um, so yeah, I hope that answers your question. Okay, thanks for asking. Hi, uh, Kate, this is Connor. Hey, Connor. Uh, thanks so much for coming today. You've been really just freaking cool. Um, <laughs> just the way that you can talk to people and code switch, like you said. Um, I'm kind of curious, what did you learn to be so authentic? Was that something that was just intrinsic to you or is did you pick that up in high school yeah. from teachers, coaches? You know, was it something that you just had inside of you or did you learn it? Yeah. Um, thank you for saying what you did. Uh, I think it's been a combination. Um, <laughs> I have always been this girl. Like, it's hilarious. Um, I was been a sports fanatic who spoke inappropriately at the dinner table. Um, <laughs> like for a couple months ago, I got a letter from my mom, so my parents are back in California, and it had a sticker inside, and she said, was just at a card shop, and I saw this and thought of you, and it's, it was just a sunshine, and on top of it, it said, just a ray of fucking sunshine. <laughs> so um, I've always been this kid, but there's been, I think we're all something and then we see how it's accepted, right? I was lucky enough to, from a very young age, have parents who said, we love this, we love all of this, keep doing this, be this all the time and we will support wherever it takes you and whoever it takes you to. Um, and then as I got into this industry, I had people reflect that as well, right? So they said, yes, this is, this is great, this is different, and we're not sure what to make of this, but we'd like it. <laughs> so keep being this. So I think it's been both. But again, I still am, when it comes to things that I'm working on right now in year two, just the middle of year two, I'm still trying to be authentic because there's, for those of you who watch Sixers games, like I'm big on the dad jokes. I love having fun. Um, I love joking about pop culture, like a lot of things that I know Zoo didn't do as much. Um, and I continue to check in with my bosses, the people who hired me, the people who pay my checks, and they keep telling me, yes, we know that you're not sure about that, that's what we want. 
That's why we hired you. We hired different. If we wanted another zoo, we would have hired another white man who went to Temple. But we wanted an outside voice, so keep being you. But it is a struggle because, again, <laughs> I look at the 29 other broadcasters across the league, and I know I've got Lisa in Milwaukee, but she and I are buds, but we're also very different people. Um, I think she's perfect for Milwaukee, and I think that I'm a really good fit, and hopefully will be proven I'm a better fit for Philly because I am so authentic, and I think Philly is really authentic and honest and direct. So it's been a, it's been a process because I think, as I talked about earlier, and I'm sure most of you can relate to this, like we feel so passionate about something that we are, but there's always something out there telling us these days, nah, don't do that, don't say that, don't be that. So it's an ongoing struggle, but as you get older, you'll care less. <laughs> you'll listen to the voices that are like, yeah, that's great. Keep doing that more than you will with the voices that are telling you to shut up and go away. All right, unfortunately, that's all the time we have. Some of you probably have more classes that you have to get to. I'm sorry to be the buzzkill. Nah, screw the other classes. No, I'm kidding. Um, class. But let's give Kate a huge, huge thank you. Thanks for joining us for a conversation with Kate Scott. For more Rowan Radio podcasts, search for Rowan Radio On Demand on your favorite podcasting platforms.